This couple has visited our church. He is a pastor in the Ukraine. And an email to Russ Martin that he forwarded to me this morning just broke my heart. His wife wrote this. It's hard to describe how I am scared. We are hiding at the basement of our apartment building with other people many times per day. When we hear the special sound outside, we have to hurry because it means that there is Russian airlines who can start bombing. I'm hearing this sound in my head all the time, even when it is quiet outside. I am crying nonstop. My eyes are swelled and I hardly walk because I am so tired. It's so cold in this basement. Her husband, many of you may know, uh, Peter and Oksana who came, is organizing a place for refugees and working at the church every day. We have prayer meeting in the church every day. We are doing short meetings because any minute we have to hide, and it's dangerous to gather as a group. Everybody has to turn off geolocation on their cell phones, and there are dangerous and cruel people who are still in the apartments of people who have escaped. She goes on to say, praise the Lord. Our two grandchildren and children have escaped. They spent nine hours at the border and two days of driving, and now they are in Germany. On Monday, they will call to different U.S. embassies and try to schedule interview to apply for visas. It's very difficult because thousands of Ukrainians are doing the same. She wrote this, My heart is broken forever. I do not know if I will ever see my children and grandchildren. My prayer and hope is that they'll be able to fly to the USA so they'll be safe. I know that my Christian family there We'll take care of them. As we think of the horrors of what is going on in the world around us, and we just look at from a personal or even on a national or international scale, we see the vast moments of difficulty that are, that are surrounding. Just walking through Costco yesterday, uh, caught up with a friend I have not seen in a long time, and... Uh, just had a cancer diagnosis. We have folks that are recovering from uh, surgery, some that are in the midst of cancer treatment. And I think from a personal and national and international level, whether you're in the midst of a personal trial today, or you just look at the international world and say, God, where do we even turn right now? I want us to do something a little bit different. We're going to break out of Malachi today, and we're going to look together in Psalm 62, and we're going to talk about trusting in God. Because as we think about what is going on, whether it's in our own life through a physical challenge or a transition, whether it's on a national scale as we think about inflation and prices and all of those kinds of things, and just the, the, the difficulty of, of the, the, the nation in which we live, or we look worldwide, we recognize that that Trusting in God is, is really what we have. That is our foundation. I look around sometimes and I think, I don't know how people without the Lord do it. And, and I don't want to know how they do it, but I, I, I just think, how do they face this personal crisis? How can they stay sane when everything is going just so crisscross in our world? Well, I think Psalm 62 gives us a great foundation from which 
we are to stand. So Psalm 62, we're going to pick up in verse number 1, and we're going to read down through verse number 8. Psalm 62, verse 1. I am at rest in God alone. This is the CSB. Some of you, uh, your, your Bible may say something like, I wait silently. I'm at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God. My strong rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. And with that, let's pray. God, would you speak and move? Would you remind us of the rock that you are? And Lord, when everything else in our world is shaking, help us to be mindful that our security is in you not just for life, but for eternity. Help us to be people who live by faith in your name. Amen. We don't know when David wrote Psalm 62. It, it could have been when during, during the years when he was being chased by Saul. God had picked David to be the next king, and there were challenges and struggles, and Saul would have nothing to do with that. And so for, for months and years, Saul was chasing David. Saul was on the move after David, and David ultimately finds his rest and refuge in God. The other time that people believe that this psalm may have been composed, I believe, and probably more accurate for me at least in thinking of this, is when Absalom, David's son, decided he was going to overthrow David, kill him, and take the kingdom. And David, as he flees Jerusalem, the capital city, and he flees his palace on the run from his own son, his own heir, who wants to take the throne and to kill him, he cries out to Say, Lord, my hope and my trust and my faith is in you alone. As we think about each of these struggles, they were personal struggles that David experienced, but they were also national struggles because the kingdom was really at hand here. So this was not just a, a one, one, uh, a one single person incident. This, both of these incidents had ramifications that had national implications on how the country would be shaped. And yet, David held firm. The one defining mark for us as believers is to be our love, the love that we have for one another. Jesus even says, by this, people will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. But there's another mark in our life that Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please 
God. So that all of our life and all of our living at that moment as we come to know Jesus is to be a life of faith. Matter of fact, we come to Jesus in faith. It tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith, so that we are saved by faith. But that begins our journey. And our journey is to be one of faith, one in which we don't place our security in in the national or international peace. We don't put it in our finances. We don't put it in our health. We don't put it in our education. But we put our faith and trust in God alone so that we find in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, that we are to stand firm in faith. Or that in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. In Galatians 2.20, Paul tells us, as, as, he, as he looks at his life, for, for, uh, as, I, as I look at, at my life, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, he says this, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself, who loves me and gave himself for me. So that I stand in faith, I walk in faith, I live in faith. James tells us that if we're going to pray, we better pray in faith. Because James 1.6 says, But let him ask in faith without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So that when we begin to pray and we begin to doubt and we begin to pray and we begin to doubt, that we're like a piece of styrofoam on a wave. We're tossed about by the the wind and the waves. And he goes on to say, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. We're to work and do our ministry in faith. Paul would look at the church in Thessalonica and says, I remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. As we face spiritual battles in our life, those spiritual battles are to be in faith. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, it reminds us to be sober and be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then verse 9 says, but resist him steadfast in the faith. And then Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that after we have uh, the belt of truth on and our feet are shod with the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith. We are to be people of Faith. Faith is something kind of like the old time film that we used to have. It's often developed in the dark. And it is through the challenges that our faith is exposed and that our faith has the opportunity to grow. So this morning, as we look at Psalm 62, in verse number 8, he gives that challenge to us to trust in him at all times. We have a challenge of our faith. So this morning, no matter you're facing a personal trial, no matter you look around our nation and you look at what's going on and the insecurities and think, man, we're in a national trial, or we look across our world and we think, yeah, we're, we're, this is bigger than national. This is an international trial. I think there are three solid truths for us that we are to stand on as we think about Psalm 62. First off, as we look at Psalm 62 and see how David begins, notice that our God is personal. As we think about God, 
By the way, if you're looking for screens today, uh, I sheepishly went into downstairs to Julie at her computer last night about 10 o'clock and said, I'm not done with this sermon yet, but could you just put Psalm 62 up there? And I was already ready for Malachi. So let me just encourage you to stay attentive and, and maybe jot a few notes. Our God is personal. Notice how David refers to him. He is my salvation. He is my rock, my salvation, my stronghold. That's the picture. God's personal. God is first our salvation. Notice in in verse number one, verse number two, verse number six, verse number seven, God is the deliverer. He is our salvation. Our salvation comes from God alone. Now we think about that in the terms of redemption through Jesus, that God is our salvation. But here specifically, I don't think that, that the writer is referring to redemption and salvation in that sense. Instead, he's looking to deliverance for the problems that he's facing at this moment. As I face these challenges in my life, in the present, right here, right now, God is my savior. God is my salvation. I trust in him alone as the one to guide, to save, and to bring me through this. And can I tell you that as David composed this psalm, and then David would look back on his life, he could look back and say, you know what? God was faithful there, and God showed his hand there, and God was true there, and God's word stood there, and God showed up there. Every time we see David in his life looking up, we find that God was absolutely faithful, and God was his salvation. No Notice, again, verse 1, verse 2, verse 6, verse 7, we find my salvation, my salvation. He alone is my salvation. There's the beautiful picture. He's not only our salvation, but he is our security. Notice the pictures that he gives in verse number 2. He is my rock and my stronghold. Verse number 6, again, he repeats it and says that, that he is my rock He is my stronghold. I will not be shaken. Notice in verse number seven, he is my strong rock. My refuge is in God. At the end of verse number eight, God is our refuge. I love Psalm 61, verse number two. If you just look in the the previous Psalm, when my my heart is overwhelmed or when I'm struggling, he prays to God, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. So no matter where you sit today on the shore of difficulty, only God can bring you to a place that is high enough that you can withstand the challenges and see him at work. God is our salvation and God is our security. Who else do we have to trust in? Where else do we have to go? Dare I question and think Some of you look to Washington, D.C. for the answers of your life? Dare I say that some of you look to New York City where the United Nations built and think, oh yeah, the United Nations, they're going to take care of this for us. Where do we go? God is our salvation. God is our security. And then notice, God is also our strength. Notice in verses 9 through 12, we didn't read these, but he says common people are only a vapor. He gives the picture that people come and go. We're we're just here for a little while, and so really, we can't put our faith in another person. 
they will lead to disappointment. Then he goes on in verse number 10 and he talks about possessions that we have. He says, don't trust in oppression or in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. So some people are looking to people. Some people are looking at their finances and thinking, hey, I'm going to be okay. My 401k says that I'm okay today. And he says this, nuh-uh, that's not how it works. Notice in verse number 10, God has spoken once and I've heard this twice, strength belongs to God. You have to think, David at this moment looks back and as a teenager, when I stood up against Goliath, a shepherd versus a trained eight foot plus warrior, and God showed up and was strong. As David took the kingdom and immediately nations began to put him to the test, And we find that the power of God and the wind blew in the balsam trees and God said, I'm going to give you victory. David, it's not about how strong you are. It's all about how strong I am. And the joy of this for believers is that our personal God is the one who brings salvation and the one who provides security and the one who gives us strength when we need it. No matter what you're going through. Some of you may be just kind of, you know, cruising through a grassy meadow today, and there are puppies around you, and sunflowers, and, you know, everything in your life is just beautiful today. But can I tell you, you're going to go over the ridge, you're going to go around the corner, and you're going to find that you need God. And when you need him, he'll be there. But notice with me, as we think about our God being personal, notice how this chapter starts, because I think it's important. He says, I'm at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He is my, my rock and my salvation. Then he begins to talk about his problems. Verse 3, he's being threatened. He's being attacked. Notice in verse number 1, his focus was set, and he knew God and talked about God before he talked about his problems. So can I tell you today, you better cultivate your relationship with God today, especially if everything's going well. You better, you better cultivate your relationship with God today because you never know. It, it challenges us in James and reminds us that when trials come, not if, but when. So this week, every day, every moment, seeking to live and recognize the personal God that we have is essential. So our God's personal. Second truth I think that we see in this passage is this. Our faith is central. God is personal, but our faith is central. Our faith has to be a priority in our life. Our faith better be able and willing to stand. Even when we have to walk by faith and not by sight. Even when we have to dig our heels in as the trials of wind and waves come 
and say, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. As we think about our faith being central, notice the, the picture that David shows as he responds to God. Notice in verse number one, I am at rest in God alone. Some of your Bibles, again, give the picture, I wait silently. The picture is, Lord, I'm waiting, I'm resting in you at this time of challenge. Now, don't think that waiting is laziness. And don't think that waiting is not working. Because waiting is definitely working. David doesn't, does, doesn't just sing, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. No, instead, David is focused. His heart is set. His faith is centered on who God is and how God has moved. So I, I think as, as he thinks about God being his rock and salvation, he's looking back and he's saying, God showed himself faithful. God showed himself faithful. Man, I can trust him as I face this trial today. Do, do, you, do you struggle with your faith sometimes? Take a look back. See how many times God brought you through. Some of you shouldn't be here today. You were told by a doctor that, that you weren't going to get out. You weren't going to survive. You weren't going to make it. So some of you, I mean, there was a narrow window when an accident happened right around you and God spared your life. And if it would have been six inches or six feet, you wouldn't be here today. But you're here today. So you look back and you say, God, thank you. Man, my faith is built up. God didn't bring us to this point to say, well, man, I tell you what, just ran out of strength. Sorry. No, God didn't bring us to this point to say, well, you know, you've done, I, I've been with you this far. Now, now you're on your own. It's, it's not one of these things like learning how to ride a bicycle. You know, where dad holds on and holds on and holds on and then he lets go and then you're off by, your, by yourself. Listen, that's not the way it works in the faith. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. So that we know that each moment, even when we don't feel it, we know he's with us and we accept that by faith. So our faith is central in thinking about this challenge of resting in him. But then we notice verse 5. Rest in God alone, for my hope comes from him. My hope. I heard one Old Testament teacher say that the word hope in the Old Testament is often kind of pictured as a rope. And it's like when all the trials are coming, there's, a, there's, a, there's expectation that God is going to hold on that other side and see you through. You have something and someone to hold on to. God, we rest in you. God, you are our hope. But then we really just come to the place in verse number eight where we have to say, Lord, I trust you. It says this, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Some of you and some of us need to say, take Psalm 62 and verse number 8. And we need to put it in our mind and write it on our heart and remember, trust in him at all times, you people. David is calling all people 
to trust the Lord in all circumstances at all times. Last week, we looked at Psalm 34.1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. Here, we think about Psalm 62.8. Trust in him at all times. So what a challenge we have to bless him and to trust him at all times in our life. As we face the challenges, I trust Lord. Lord, and I don't only trust you, but I am calling and encouraging others to trust you as well. So let me ask you today. Trust in him at all times, you people. How many of you have faced a crisis in your life that God brought you through and you know it was God alone? Put your hand up. Put your hand up. All right? So your hand just gave a testimony to trust him at all times, you people. It reminded you, yeah, God's seen me through. And it reminds all of us again to say, yeah, God sees me through. God saw them through. Same God that you have, same God I have. We've trusted Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We, we follow the same Lord, and he was faithful to you. He's faithful to you. He's faithful to you. He's faithful to you. And that encourages me and says, man, even through the trials, I know he'll be faithful to me. Our God is personal, but our faith is central. And this is a faith that, again, has to work on the focus. What happens in our life is when we lose our focus on God and we begin to focus on the things around us, our feelings begin to take over. You go to the movies and you watch a sad movie. But this movie is a cartoon, all right? You're going to watch Bambi, all right? You know how Bambi starts, don't you? You know, all right? Okay? So you're shook up on Bambi. Can I tell you? You're just, you're, your heart's moved, but this is a cartoon. You, you, you've been stirred. We teased one of my boys because of one of the Toy Story movies that had this moving part. I think it was the number three. Is that the last one? Three or one? Well, number four? All right, number four. Anyway, had this heart-wrenching movement in it. And, and uh, you know, listen, it's made up. The toys are talking. And yet, and yet, we see these talking toys and our feelings follow our focus. Our feelings are going to follow our focus. So in the same way, When we keep our focus on who he is, our faith is inspired. And then, listen, faith doesn't, uh, faith begins to drive the engine, not the feelings. Now, we can get still moved. We can cry tears of sorrow before the Lord. We can look at our circumstances and weep over them and and, and know that that's real. It, It doesn't mean everything's just easy for us, but it does mean that when my focus is set and my faith is focused on him, I'm not up and down and up and down. I have a steadiness to life. I wait silently on God. God's personal. Faith is central. 
But the third thing that we see at the end of this chapter in Psalm 62 is that God's word is eternal. Notice in verse number 11 and 12, if you have your Bible still open. God has spoken once. I have heard this twice. (laughs) Now that's interesting. God has spoken once. I've heard it twice. What's he saying? This is a Hebrew uh, idiom kind of a thing that say, you've heard this over and over again. God's spoken it and you've heard these truths. It's kind of, like, kind of like coming to church and, and hearing things like, Jesus loves you. The Bible's true. God has a plan for your life. You, you've heard all that. So you've heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it. But there's three things in particular that we see the eternal word driving forth for us to hear. The first one is this. Notice, I've heard it twice. First, strength belongs to God. God shows his strength. It is often in our weakness, as Paul would recognize, that he is strong. As he fought a thorn in the flesh that would buffet his body, put him at a place where he didn't feel like he was at the ideal place physically to serve in ministry. And he found that in his weakness, God showed his strength. Some of you in your weakness today need to remember it's not about how strong you are anyway. It's just not. It's his strength. His strength in your life. Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their faith. Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll walk and not grow weary. They'll run and not faint. That word renew, in some uh, Hebrew writers have, have uh, commentators have said, he shall renew, exchange is the word that they use. That God takes our weak strength and he changes it. We, we, cha- we trade it in. It's kind of like... When my propane grill runs, uh, my, my propane tank runs out at the, and I have to take it back and, and say, look, this thing's empty. It won't fire anymore for my grill. There's no more fire in this, no, no more gas in it. And so I exchange. God says, look, I'll take your empty, strengthless, weak life and I'll exchange it. I'll renew your strength. I'm your strength. God is our strength. Next thing he says is this in verse number uh, 11 and 12. He says, and faithful love belongs to you, Lord. Some of your Bibles say mercy. This is the Hebrew word hesed, which can be translated loving kindness or tender mercies. It's, It's God's faithful love. He expresses this faithful love to us. And it never fails. There are times that you're hard to love. I know that because there are times that I'm hard to love. But God's love is faithful. There are times that I don't look very lovable or act very lovable. And God says, look, you've heard this once, twice, three times, a million times. I am strong and I love you. 
and my faithful love will carry you through life into eternity. And then the third thing. Notice with me at the very last, last phrase of verse number 12. God's faithful, faithful love belongs to you, Lord. And then it says this. For you repay each according to his works. You repay. Yeah, God's strong. Yeah, God loves us. But here he makes it very clear. God promises justice. He'll repay according to works. Now, for those of us as believers, we recognize that our sin debt has been paid in Christ. We stand before God as he looks through us through the lens of Jesus, and we are absolutely clean and pure before him. But he will reward our works. Clear. For those who do not know Jesus, for those who are the troublers and the liars and those who are causing great harm, he says, I will repay. As we look at the horrific situation in our world today, I think we have a man in Russia who is influenced by the power of the evil one, who is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy, as John 10.10 says, just like the thief does. But let me tell you, one day, justice will come. It may not come from sanctions. It, it, it may not come even in military terms. But I understand that every person who disobeys and scoffs and mocks and seeks to gain and seeks to harm others, they will stand before God and they will get exactly what they deserve. Justice. In Philippians chapter 2, verse number 9 tells us that one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Justice may not come on earth as we desire, but I challenge you with this. God is absolutely just. And it is a far more dangerous thing to fall into the hands of a consuming fire of a God than it is to face the recompense of humanity. With that being said, as you take your prayer guide as you go today, I want to challenge you. If you're in the midst of a storm today, God is with you. He stands with you. Take Psalm 62 and think on it, meditate on it. Your faith is essential in your life. 
If, if Hebrews 11.6 tells us without faith it's impossible to please God, then he really wants to see faith in my life. He wants to see that. And the truths of God's word, they're eternal. Matthew 24.35 says that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not, will never pass away. So we know God is strong. God is love. God is just. Some of you today, maybe you're going through a trial in your life and you just need to be reminded as a believer, God's strong and God loves you. For those of you who do not know Jesus today, there has been a time in your life where you have thought something, said something, done something that, have dis- that has displeased God and you are disqualified from a perfect heaven with a perfect and holy God. God has only made one way for imperfect people to enter into a perfect heaven. He sent his perfect son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, and he rose again from the dead, and he is the only one who can offer us the free gift of eternal life. As we have our invitation this morning, I'm going to ask David and Daphne to come, and many of you may just want to take a moment and pray where you are as the music is playing. Some of you may want to come and use these steps as we think of Pastor Andre and Valentina and we think of uh, Pastor Peter and Oksana and her family and their family. Uh, Many of you may have other brothers and sisters in Christ that you know in the Ukraine. There's a Ukraine Baptist Theological Seminary that if you uh, would would look at, you, you recognize that these folks are helping refugees right now. The president of that seminary is a graduate of Southwestern Seminary, one of our Southern Baptist seminaries. And they're seeking to share the gospel. The evangelical force is not large in Ukraine. But this gives them an opportunity to shine the light. So would you pray that through even this difficulty, God would shine through those believers? And honestly... As the Lord, someone asked me earlier on how to pray, I said, well, as the Lord put Pharaoh's chariots in mud and drug them down and they were in the Red Sea, and I'm not against praying that tanks will be stuck in the mud, missiles will misfire, things will just frustrate the, the, arm, the Russian army so that they'll understand that they're, they're, not, they're not just messing, messing with flesh and blood that they'll recognize there is a God, Psalm 115.3, who is in heaven and he does what he pleases and that they'll come and ultimately not just surrender, but surrender to him. With that, let's stand together and we're going to pray. And then I'm just going to invite you, we're going to take about the next five minutes and if you have something that you want to pray with me about or talk with me about, I'm here in the front, maybe something going on in your life, but We're going to take just the next few minutes and David and Daphne are going to sing and play. But we're just going to pray for God to move. And Father, that's our prayer today. Lord, even when we don't know what to pray, we recognize that your spirit intercedes for us. And so Lord, over Pastor Andre and his family and Pastor Peter and his family, Lord, we pray for your grace and your strength. 
Most of us have never experienced what they're experiencing right now. The hurt of wondering if you'll ever see children or grandchildren again. The concerns and anxieties of going down into a bunker with people who you don't know and some are angry and violent and evil people. God, provide your peace. Show yourself as the personal God, the strong and mighty God. And Lord, we pray that you would frustrate the enemy in the powerful and awesome name of Jesus. Amen.